When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The Fun Factory. Written and read by Chris England. Chapter 18. Two more comics. The railway journey up to Oakland, which sits across the bay from San Francisco, was a quiet one. All of us were lost in our thoughts, it seemed, even Wallace, who had his face pressed to the window, captivated by the ever-changing view. Every now and then, Stan would spark into life and say something like, "'Do you think we should have tried to send him a message before we left?' "'No,' I replied to that. "'He should have sent us one.' "'Yes, but...' Stan sighed and slumped back into his contemplations. Tilly, too, was staring into the distance, and I put my hand on hers. It's not exactly the first time, I said. Hmm? I said it's not the first time that Charlie has let us down. Tilly tutted. You're rather enjoying this, aren't you? Everyone's disappointment. Proving you right about Charlie, giving you another chance to moan about him, blame him for all your misfortune. What? No. Tilly went quiet then, brooding, and it was a minute or two before she spoke again. Well, in any case, I was actually thinking about my father... "'Of course,' I said. "'I'm sorry that we can't afford to go back to England, love, "'but that's just how it is.' "'I know,' she said, with a sad little smile. "'Have you written? "'Maybe we could have the lad photographed. "'What do you think?' "'That would be nice. "'But I don't have an address, do I? "'I thought of writing care of the Great Yarmouth Police Station, "'but there could be several of those, "'and I don't know that they take mail for prisoners, "'so how would I know he'd received it? "'And how could he write back to let me know that he had? "'Care of the Considine Organisation in Seattle?' It could be months before we get back up there, and I'd have to be wondering that whole time. You've clearly thought it through, I said. I've been doing little else, she said, and squeezed my hand. Freddy seemed to wake up then, and he said, Maybe, you know, he just couldn't persuade anyone to come and see us. He didn't even turn up himself, I said. I know, I know, but maybe he he meant to, and, and, and other people... "'It's quite simple,' I said. "'He didn't want us to be in Los Angeles. "'He didn't want us to get involved in making pictures "'because he didn't want the competition. "'He wants all the limelight for himself.' "'Oh, for goodness sake,' Tilly muttered. "'No, no,' Stan said, frowning. "'Charlie wouldn't... "'When you suggested we should speak to movie people "'at that lunch last week, what did he say?' "'He said he'd help us.' "'No,' he said. "'Don't do that.' "'That's what he said.' because he was already working out how to block our path. I can't believe that. Not even Charlie. We could have spent the whole of last week knocking on doors, trying to get on, and who knows, maybe we'd have struck lucky, but we didn't, and why not? Because Charlie, Mr Charlie Chaplin, said, 
don't do that. I'll arrange everything. And then he left us to stew in our own juices in that godforsaken boiler house of a theatre, knowing perfectly well that by the time we realised he wasn't going to make good on his promise, it would be too late for us to do anything about it. Because who knows when Considine will send us back to Los Angeles. Not for months, probably. There are film companies in other cities, Stan said. Chicago, San Francisco, New York, Jacksonville. That's right, and certainly we can try our luck when we are in those places. But I think we should realise that vaudeville is our bread and butter, and buckle down and concentrate on making something of ourselves there. Put this flicker nonsense out of our heads. After a moment, Stan grinned. You're right, Arthur, he said. Vaudeville is our bread and butter. Freddy looked less convinced. If only there was some jam as well, he muttered. As if to taunt our new resolution, Oakland's Broadway seemed to be bursting at the seams with brand new picture houses, all ornate frontages and fancy electric signage. There were vaudeville theatres too, the list headed by another spanking new pantages with more than its share of electric bulbs, and we'd played the bell on one of the Carnot tours. This time we were at the Bijou, a small independent vaudeville venue that booked through the Considine office, and we tried not to get too downcast by the many grander operations that surrounded us. When we arrived, we tried, as usual, to get an idea of the calibre of acts alongside us on the bill, but it turned out that the owner had surrendered all the space on his posters, programmes, and, as we discovered later, the drop curtain to advertising products. So Zamzam, which we speculated might be a magic act, turned out in fact to be a candy laxative, good for what ails you. Similarly, Clark Gandian, an unfamiliar double act, was actually a brand of surgical truss, and La France was not a singing diva so much as it was a waste-reducing corset. The only actual reference to the nature of the entertainment on offer was in a far-from-prominent line at the bottom, which read merely, Vaudeville thrice nightly. Oh well, Freddy said. Better than four a night, anyway. The week began quietly, as the theatre was not particularly well attended, and we were all struggling to regain a bit of spark after our Los Angeles disappointment. I say, disappointment. I was actually feeling a little more strongly than that. The more I thought about it, the more sure I was that Charlie had acted quite deliberately to sabotage us. It was an effort of will, but gradually I managed to make myself calm down a little, telling myself that the episode was behind me, that Charlie had had his fun, had his little stab at my back, but it was now over and done with, and there was no way he could play any further part in my life. I was wrong about that. In the mornings that week, several days in a row, Tilly disappeared with Freddy looking for something. They were very mysterious about it, and neither Stan nor I were quite sure what was going on. I knew that Freddy had taken a shine to Tilly years ago, back in the Fun Factory days, but he was my friend, and I had no thought that he would make a play for her. Not like Charlie did, over and over again, until even Tilly started wondering whether he was more interested in her or in putting one over on me. It was peculiar, though, and it meant that I was left alone with my son and my speculations. "'What are they up to, eh?' I said many times to the boy as I spooned some kind of mushed-up goo into his gummy little mouth. "'Your mum and your Uncle Fred?' On the Thursday evening, I think it was, after the evening's shows were completed, Tilly came into the dressing-room we three lads were sharing with the Blinnies, a juggling trio, or possibly a candy laxative, who were at that moment up on the stage, and she closed the door behind her. "'Aye, aye,' I said. "'What's going on?' "'I've something to tell you,' Tilly said. "'Well, actually, Freddy and I do, don't we, Fred?' "'That's right,' Freddy said. "'Absolutely.' 
I felt a cold finger walking down my spine. "'What's up?' Stan said. "'I saw Charlie in Los Angeles at his apartment,' Tilly said. "'We all did,' Stan frowned. "'Yes, but I mean a second time, a couple of days after that lunch. "'I went back there on my own. "'I told him about my father,' Tilly said. "'I told him how desperate I was to go back to England to see him, "'that it might be the last opportunity to show him his grandson, "'and... "'And what?' I prompted. "'Well, you see, Charlie somehow seems to have got hold of the impression "'that I might want to reveal that Wallace was his son to some newspaper or other. "'I don't know how that could possibly have happened, "'and this notion made him quite agitated.' "'I should think it did,' I said. "'So what he's done is, and I suppose I shouldn't really be surprised, "'given what happened before, "'when he paid you to absent yourself from the Carnot Company, you mean, "'quite.' He has given me money. In fact, he has most carefully calculated the amount you and I would need to travel across the country to New York and secure a passage, a one-way passage, back to England. He really wants to be rid of you, Stan said, shaking his head slowly at me. Hmm, I said, grinding my teeth. Clearly the continent is not big enough for the both of us. Now, Tilly went on, much as I would like to do this, I am in fact quite desperate to go. I couldn't let you down, Stan, and you, Freddy, and neither could I ask Arthur to do it. You've thrown your lot in with us, and I haven't the right to ask you to begin again at scratch. Well, Stan began, if it is the only way... Bless you, Stan, but I, I could not possibly ask it of you. However, we have come up with a solution. We, myself and Freddy here, haven't we, Fred? We have. I will travel back to London with little Wallace... "'and Freddy will accompany us.' "'Freddy will,' I said, sideswiped by this. "'The old man simply will not let up, "'cabling me, pestering me,' Freddy explained. "'He wants me to run the old fun factory "'so he can concentrate all his energies "'on digging the casino out of a hole. "'It is the family business. "'You understand, don't you?' "'Of course, of course we do,' Stan said, "'picking miserably at a thread on his trouser leg. "'That's not all, though, is it?' I said. "'No,' Tilly said. Once we get back to London, Freddy will get the governor to pay me back for his crossing, so I shall have the money to return once I've seen my father and shown him his grandson and generally seen what's what. I should be gone for a month, maybe six weeks at the most. In the meantime, she gave an enigmatic smirk, the four comiques will still be able to fulfil all their engagements. How? <laughs> I said. There'll only be two comiques left. Aha! Freddy said. And that's the big surprise. Come on. He led the way, grinning all the while, out of the stage door and around the corner to a bar. Stan and I followed, bemused, and watched Freddy and Tilly as they scoured the various nooks and crannies until Tilly found what they were looking for in a booth at the back. To quote our son, if I may, she said to me, Da-da! Stan and I looked at one another, unable to imagine what awaited us in that booth behind its dark wood and stained glass screen. We stepped tentatively forward and peered in. There, sitting opposite one another, raising their glasses in greeting, were Ed Hurley and his wife, the lovely Wren. "'Look who we found in San Francisco,' Tilly said. "'Well,' Stan said, scratching his head, and then grasping Ed by the hand and pumping it enthusiastically. "'Hello, Arthur. How lovely to see you again,' Wren said, with her voice like warm velvet, setting off distant alarm bells that resonated deep in my abdominal regions.' Two comiques plus two more comiques equals four comiques, Freddy beamed. 
That name's got to go for a start, Ed muttered. Chapter 19. Those Love Pangs. So that was decided then. Nothing Stan and I could really do or say. It was a fait accompli. The Hurleys would take over from Freddy and Tilly and the Nutty Burglars until Tilly returned from England, at which point I suppose we would have to think again. Actually, it was going to work out rather nicely for Ed and Wren, as they'd just found themselves stranded in San Francisco. We got to New York, Wren explained, but all the way Ed was restless. He still thought Carno should have made him the number one when Charlie left, and again when the theatres balked at Stan, and yet again when Dan Rayner didn't work out. Poor kid, I said, shaking my head. And so the thought of turning up at the fun factory and doffing his cap to the old governor, saying yes sir, no sir, and three bags full sir, well, it stuck in Ed's throat, so it did. At that moment, Ed was holding forth over by the bar to Stan, very possibly going over the same ground, while Tilly and Freddy had their heads together, already making plans for their trip. "'So what did you do?' I said. "'Well, Ed was impressed. He won't tell you this himself, but he was, when you three boys took the ticket money and struck out on your own. He thought it was a brassy move, and a big raspberry to old Carno, too. So we decided to follow suit.' Just before we got on the boat, it was. You should have seen Alf Reeves' face. Anyway, as luck would have it, we got hooked up fairly quickly. Before the money ran out, anyway. And found a slot with the Buster Brown Company. You know, they do an act based on the comic strip in the papers. Not really, I shrugged. Buster and his dog were both played by dwarves, really quite unpleasant old men who'd been doing the show for years. And they were really set in their ways. Well, you know what Ed's like. He kept suggesting changes and throwing his weight around. And in the end, we had to go our separate ways. They fired you, you mean? Don't tell Ed, Wren whispered, dropping her voice and grasping my arm. He thinks there were no more dates. But yes, I agreed a settlement, which has very nearly run out now. So bumping into Tilly and Freddy the other day was quite providential. Indeed, I said, for all of us. It will be so nice to work with you again, Arthur, she said, allowing her fingers to trail across the back of my hand in a way that made me want to rearrange my clothing. It was agreed that the Hurleys would take over at the start of the next week when the four comiques headed to Bakersfield and Tilly, Freddy and Wee Wallace began their transcontinental trek to New York and on to Old England. That made for some pretty frantic rehearsals in Stan and Freddy's room in the mornings, which, by the way, made us distinctly unpopular with the other vaudevillians who were sharing the house having rolled in during the wee small hours. Wren looked good in the part of the maid, and Tilly passed on tips as best she could, but the real test of Wren's rapport with Stan would only come while performing in front of a live house. I wanted to be good, of course, Tilly confided, but not too good. I understand perfectly, I said. Ed, on the other hand, bristled when he discovered he was expected to play a supporting role. He began trying to inflate his importance right from the off, but of course it didn't make a lot of sense for a burglary scene to have a policeman in it any more than we had already, so Stan and I did have to keep slapping him down, and Freddy became so exasperated that he made himself scarce. The rush to get the Hurleys ready and three shows a day at the Bijou meant that there was precious little time for me to spend with Tilly and Wallace before they left. In fact, I'm not sure I saw the lad awake that whole time. So when the week was done, and we were in our room for our last night together, for a little while at least, 
there was still some talking to be done. We stood in the near dark, with the moonlight shining through a gap in the ill-fitting curtains, looking down at the sleeping form of our son and listening to his gentle snoring. I slipped my arm around Tilly's waist, and she drew closer to me. "'I've been thinking,' she said. "'Me too,' I said, reaching down to pat Wallace on the head and ruffle his soft, fly-away hair. "'Oh,' Tilly replied, "'because my mind is made up, you know. I'm going.' "'Yes, yes, I understand that,' I said. I slipped my hand into my trouser pocket and found the ring that I'd bought from a market that morning, silver with a design like the head of Mr. Punch, which I'd been delighted to come across, perfect for what I had in mind. "'I've been thinking,' Tilly said again. "'All right, you first. I smiled. "'I've been thinking that going back to England for a couple of months "'might actually be quite a good idea. "'Really? "'Might be good for us. "'In what way? "'Just a little time apart to think, that's all. "'Think? About what?' "'Tilly sighed. "'When you came to find me in Vancouver, you know, "'I nearly said no to you then. "'But I thought now that Charlie was out of your life, "'that you could put this bitter, poisonous rivalry of yours behind you "'and grow up out of his shadow. "'So I decided to take the chance, take the risk, "'and throw in with you once again. "'Because I love you, Arthur, and I, I know you love me, "'but I can't cope with this anger you have for Charlie. "'It twists you, it eats you up, and it hurts the people around you.' "'But it's not me,' I cried. "'It's him. He's the one doing it. "'It's been him all along, even last week. "'He promised to give us a helping hand, and then what? "'Nothing. "'He gave me money to go back to England and see my father, "'so that he can get rid of me once and for all. "'And he would have come to see the nutty burglars, "'but he couldn't persuade any of his contacts to come with him, "'and he was embarrassed to come alone because he felt he'd let us down. "'He was quite upset about it, actually.' "'What? When was this?' "'When I went back a second time.' "'Oh, he's playing you, Tilly, that's all. "'You've put the wind up him. "'He thinks you can tell the press he's some kind of morally bankrupt philanderer.' "'I'm not proud of that. I, "'I did what I had to do. "'But this rivalry of yours has made my life a misery for so long. "'I thought it was about time I got something back.' "'I see.' "'I clenched my fist, crushing the ring into the flesh of my palm. "'Tilly looked down at it. "'What have you got there?' I held my open palm out to her. The Mr. Punch ring nestled in the middle of it on a reddened imprint of itself. His garish smile mocked me as he rocked gently from side to side. "'What is that?' "'It's for you,' I said. "'Oh!' Tilly's mouth made a perfect O. Oh. "'I thought... "'You were never going to... I, "'I was... "'Well, I thought we should make this little chap legitimate, you know.' Tilly gave a little laugh. Well, God knows we've been pretending to be married long enough. Ha! <laughs> so, is that it? Tilly said. What? Is that all I'm getting, by way of a proposal? What do you... I mean, can't you do it any better than that? On your knees, Dando, and ask me properly. I got down on one knee and took her hand, and I have to say I was mightily confused. Um, Matilda Jean Beckett? Tilly smirked. Will you do me the inestimable honour of becoming my wife? Tilly sighed and gave me a sad little smile. "'That's so nice,' she said. "'Well,' I said after a moment, "'what's your answer?' She took a deep breath. "'I'll give you my answer when I return.' "'When you return? "'But I'm going to need to see a new dando, "'one that isn't burdened by this darkness. "'Do you understand?' "'I think so. "'I believe I deserve that, 
and Wallace deserves that. If we're going to make a life together, I want it to be a life built on happiness and laughter. You need to show me you've put this thing with Charlie Chaplin behind you, once and for all. Otherwise I'll just take myself and Wallace back up to Vancouver, and that will be that. I see. Righto. She took my hands and lifted me up to my feet, and then she stood up on tiptoes and kissed me. In the blink of an eye, it seemed, Tilly and I were standing together on the platform at the Oakland 16th Street station, and the Omaha train was hissing and steaming as if the locomotive itself was impatient to be on its way. I'll be back before you know it, Tilly whispered as we embraced. You be good now. Watch out for that Wren Hurley. You'll be back in six weeks. What sort of trouble can I get up to in six weeks? Two weeks of thinking about it and four weeks of doing something about it, Tilly growled. "'Give my regards to your father,' I said. "'I hope he approves of his grandson.' Tilly grinned, but I could see that she was trying to hide her concern that she might not be in time. After all, we'd only that small piece in variety about the pier fire at Great Yarmouth to go on for information, and one way and another she could be making a long trip with only disappointment at the end of it. The guard gave a couple of sharp blasts on his whistle, and the last passengers left on the platform began to hurry up into the carriages. I hugged her one last time. Soon, love, I said, and then Tilly kissed my neck and turned away, leaving a tear tracking down my cheek. Freddy was holding Wallace, and he passed the boy up to his mother. My little family disappeared into the shadows momentarily before finding a spot at a window from which to wave goodbye. I'll take care of them, don't you worry, Freddy said. I know you will, I said, grasping his hand. You take care of yourself, too. Hey, he said, beaming a big old Freddy grin at me and Stan. If the old man puts me in charge of the fun factory, maybe you two should come and work for me. What do you think? It's a thought, Stan grinned, shaking our friend by the hand. It certainly is. With that, the locomotive sighed and the carriages clinked heavily together, bouncing an inch or two back and forth before slowly moving off. Freddy skipped up the steps and pulled the door shut behind him, appearing alongside Tilly and Wallace at the window. The little boy was enjoying the game of waving goodbye, flapping both hands energetically. Freddy gave us a salute with a big smile, and the lad swiftly copied this new gesture, which made Tilly laugh. I could see, though, that she was trying not to cry, and not quite succeeding. I stood watching the train until it was almost out of sight, a dark, faintly smoking dot on the horizon. "'It's going to be a long six weeks,' I said. "'It is that,' Stan said beside me, and I saw that he was looking over at the opposite platform, where Ed Hurley and his wife were sitting on their bags, waiting for us to join them for the much shorter journey to our next engagement in Sacramento. We couldn't hear them, but it was plain that he was complaining about something, and that she was trying to tell him to let it go, whatever it was. "'I think I'll be able to stand it, for six weeks,' Stan said. "'Any longer than that, I might just throttle him.' I was missing Tilly already.' and vividly recalled our conversation from the night before, but I couldn't help it. All I could think just then was, Bloody Charlie Chaplin, this is all your fault. Chapter 20. The Room. Summer of 1917, somewhere in America. The one called John sat back in his chair, assessing me coolly. "'Now we're g getting to it,' he said. G "'Getting to what?' I said, hoping that a little light-hearted mockery might lighten the mood. "'It didn't. "'To the nub of this thing between you and Chaplin,' John said, "'and I could see the effort he was making to keep his stutter down, "'which made me feel bad all of a sudden. 
Ah, he was breaking through, becoming successful, becoming a star, while you and your chums were still grubbing around trying to scrape a living among Vaudeville's bottom feeders. John's partner, the quiet one, sniggered at this. Jealousy, pure and simple, John went on, throwing his pencil onto his pad. There was more to it than that, a lot more. Have you not been paying attention? I got that you felt foolish, having manipulated him into choosing to make a career in the flickers rather than competing with you in the world of vaudeville. That all rather backfired on you, didn't it? Yes, but... John's partner sniggered again, and I started to feel that it was getting hot in that enclosed room. I glanced at the windows, but it didn't look like they were used to being opened, if they opened at all. After all, what was Chaplin supposed to do? Deliberately fail in order to make your miserable life more tolerable? The silent one snorted through his nose at that. Look, I said, you're missing the point. You're missing the point entirely. Oh, I am. Enlighten me. All right, then. When we met Chaplin in 1914, he was successful, yes, and I was a little jealous, obviously. We all were. I admit that. And it was a bit of a facer that he was only in the moving pictures because of me. That was an unforeseen consequence. But you have to remember that he was only at the start of his movie career. He hadn't yet become what he since became, and he was terribly insecure. So when he bumped into us, his first thought was... No, wait, his very first thought was to swank around and lord it over us, rub our noses in his fancy apartment and his valet and his automobile. His next first thought was to make sure that he got rid of us. Got rid of you. His friends and former colleagues exactly got rid of the competition. He knew, don't you see, that Stan and I were every bit as good as him. We'd shown it often enough. I told you, didn't I, about the night Stan pretended to be him in New York, which was the very night that Max Sennett saw the Carno show, so really it was Stan that had so impressed Sennett, not Charlie at all. You mentioned that, John said. Well, we never spoke about it, but Charlie will have put two and two together. Even the telegram that Senate sent asking to meet him asked for Mr. Chaffin. It could have been either of them, Chaplin or Jefferson. So? So, when Stan started to show an interest in trying to get a start in the flickers, and yes, I admit I was getting interested myself too, Charlie went into a panic. He promised to arrange for these top movie guys to come and see us, but he had no intention of doing it. All he really wanted to do was to make sure that we wasted our week in Los Angeles by leaving things to him. He knew that we were tied to Considine, and we wouldn't be back for weeks, maybe even months, so he stuck a huge spanner in our works. He sabotaged us. Who knows what we might have been able to set up if he'd just let us get on with it. Hmm, John said, picking up his pencil again and tapping his teeth with it. And then there was the business with Tilly, don't forget, I said, beginning to get cross. Ah, yes, when your lover let Chaplin believe he was the father of your son in order to extort money from him, John drawled. It wasn't like that, I snapped. Oh, he assumed it. She just didn't ever disabuse him of his misapprehension. I tailed off, feeling that I was not being quite convincing, not even being convinced myself. But that is beside the point, I said, picking up again. And what then is the point, Mr. Dando? Do you really not see... Don't you see what he did? Chaplin? Of course, Chaplin. He paid her off. He gave her money. He gave her the money to go see her father for maybe the last time. Some might call that an act of considerable generosity. John's partner nodded in agreement. It was exasperating. But don't you see? He gave her just exactly enough money for the two of us, the three of us, counting the boy, to go back to England. 
that's right, to go back to England and stay there. Not enough money to come back to America. Just enough to get me out of his hair for good. Just enough to make sure that I was as far away from him as possible. Still seems like a remarkably noble gesture to me. Just enough to split up the four comiques. Just enough to ruin the nutty burglars. Well... "'Just enough to dump Stan in the shit, too, in other words,' I cried, warming to my theme. "'And what was I supposed to do for a living? "'What was Tilly supposed to do, stuck in England without the wherewithal to get back?' "'I'm not sure I quite,' John began. "'But that's not the worst of it,' I said, thumping my fist on the table. "'He knew. He knew what was coming. He said as much. "'He knew that the safest place to be, if there was a war, was right here in America. "'He said it, in so many words.' "'I'm not sure anyone knew for certain what was going to happen that summer,' John frowned. "'Oh, he knew. That aviator friend of his knew,' I said. "'He knew that there was a good chance that England would go to war. "'He knew that England was about to become a really dangerous place to be. "'He knew that, and so that's where he wanted me to be.' "'Come on now, really,' John said with an infuriatingly patronising sneer. "'He tried to kill me!' I shouted. The little bastard tried to kill me, and he tried to get the Kaiser to do his dirty work for him. I was standing now, leaning across the table on my fists, panting. John regarded me evenly and took a white handkerchief from an inside pocket, with which he carefully wiped my spittle from his face. Well, he said, I'm beginning to wonder whether you can help us at all, Mr. Dando. To be perfectly frank, you're beginning to sound a little unhinged. Unhinged? Suddenly I felt extremely self-conscious. I was painfully aware that this man held my future in the palm of his hand, and I sat back down, not looking him in the eye. As I tried to calm myself, my gaze drifted down to his ankle, where the elegantly nonchalant crossing of his legs had caused his trouser to ride up above his sock. With a start, I thought I caught a glimpse of an inch or two of lady's silk stocking encasing his calf, before he saw where I was looking and gave his trouser leg a quick downward tweak. Maybe I was losing it. I'm sorry, I said, with effortful calmness. But if you will permit me to continue, I'm sure I can demonstrate that I have grounds for complaints that are perfectly well-founded and rational. With a gracious waft of a pale, languid hand, John invited me to do just that. <laughs>